according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I'll tell you what, let's... uh, Okay, yeah, we'll go to John 20 briefly, and then we'll uh, return to Luke 24. We've got to cover both chapters this morning. John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut. Like we just shut the doors here. How about that? And the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Imagine how frightened you would be if you closed the doors and then all of a sudden this extra person popped in there. Especially somebody you thought was dead. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So they go from fear, where they receive peace be with you, to joy, where peace be with you is expanded. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the uh, sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. And you'll note, he breathes on them. The word for breath is the word for uh, spirit both in Hebrew and in Greek, he breathes on them and then orders them or instructs them to receive the Holy Spirit. We assume that they all did so. All right, but that is an assumption. Uh, They will all, of course, receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, a few days from here. uh, This is approaching, uh, he's had 40 days of resurrection ministry and then 10 days Uh, after he's ascended, before they receive the Holy Spirit. This is still Sunday night we're talking about, April 5th. Uh, This is still the first day of the week. And uh, he instructs them to receive the Holy Spirit. So the uh, 11 will uh, be spirit and dwelt prior to the remainder of the church there at Pentecost. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas called Didymus, Thomas the twin. We'll discuss him when we get to that. So the other disciples were saying, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Not cannot, will not. And we need to discuss the nature of faith, the nature of believing and disbelieving, and how we choose volitionally to either believe or disbelieve in every faith application that's presented before us. And I think there's some uh, some issues that come up with certain Bible translations that fail to identify the nature of pisteo and opisteo as uh, contrasting verbs. All right, then after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. So as I read this, this is now Monday, um, the uh, 16th, I guess that would be if, uh, well, whatever it is. Sunday's the 5th, the 12th, the 13th, Monday the 13th. Once again, they're inside, but this time Thomas is with them. This time Thomas is with him. So Jesus shows up. Again, the doors having been shut, he stands in their midst and says, Peace be with you. And uh, this is where he's going to challenge 
Thomas the second time around. All right, so that kind of gives you a clue where we're headed. Uh, let's open up with a word of prayer, and then uh, then we'll return to Luke 24. But let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we ask for your hand of blessing upon our time of study today. And we just give you the praise and the glory, Father, for all that you do. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, join me now then back at Luke 24, verses 36 through 43. Parallel gospel account, a number of divergent details that are recorded. As you read through Luke, there's no clues that... Uh, that he shows up twice. It all seems to be a single event. As you read through Luke also, you have the Emmaus Road disciples that are detailed and how they uh, had met the Lord on the road to Emmaus and how uh, they had then run back to Jerusalem to give the corroborating testimony. Remember, it's, it's the nature of everything God is doing to have cooperating testimony. It's why he goes at the birth of Jesus and fetches those uh, shepherds. So it's not just simply, uh, uh, he wants to have multiple witnesses. And the shepherds come in from the fields and said, well, we heard from the angels that, uh, that the Messiah was born. And we're going to see him here born in a manger. And sure, sure enough, they, they see what they were told they were expected to see. And God ac- accumulates additional witnesses so that you have the multitude of witnesses to corroborate these issues. I think this is a principle going all the way back to the law where everything is, is validated with two or three. The witnesses of two or three that can confirm every fact. Well, likewise here, he appears to Mary Magdalene, he appears to these other women, he appears to these other disciples on the Emmaus Road, so that when they go running back, um, he appears to Peter, so that when they all go running back to this locked room, wherever their hideout is, that you know, disciple headquarters, um, I, we kind of assume it's the upper room where they had the dinner the night before, we don't know that for a fact. But whatever the room is that's available for them um, on this night, on this Wednesday, uh, Sunday night, um, there are now multitude of witnesses. Peter is able to say, look, the Lord appeared to me. These women aren't out of their minds after all. Okay? Um, they, no matter how many women came and said we saw the Lord, well, that's just women. Okay? But as soon as Peter said that he saw the Lord, wow, now we, you know, we might believe something. And then these other two disciples come in, both men as far as we can tell. Um, they're spoken of in the masculine plural anyway. Uh, one of them we know uh, is, is a man just based on his name. Um, that uh, they come in to say, well, we saw him too. We saw him out there in Emmaus. He, he had dinner with us out there at Emmaus. And uh, we watched him break bread, and we, and we knew for a fact that's who it was. And then he just poofed, disappeared, teleported out of, out of there. So we came running back. And all these things get confirmed. So um, the Emmaus Road episode uh, takes us down through um, verse... Uh, 31, where their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. I believe that was teleportation, gone, okay? In the resurrection body, we're not limited to the the spatial dimensions that we uh, are limited to in this physical body. This physical body is a physical body in the physical universe. All right. Uh, So they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? That burning heart within, it's a response to doctrine being communicated. And we're going to have to relate that concept. Just keep that verse in your mind because we've got another verse coming up where he opens their minds to understand the scriptures in verse 45. We want to have burning hearts and open minds. 
And we'll have to uh, make some decisions related to these verses, exactly how that takes place. This is not church age when this is happening, but I think it's valid to bring these concepts into a church age application. All right, so they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven. Gathered together. Now, what is significant when believers are gathered together? It is significant. We are gathered together ones. We are, uh, we are called out ones. We are an assembly and we are um, a gathering. So they found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. That's Cephas, Simon, Simon Peter, uh, the leader of the, of the eleven. Remember, uh, we, we read about in the order of the appearances, um, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. All right. They, uh, and so then they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. So the, the eleven are all excited because he's appeared to, to Peter. And then these two come in to say, well, he appeared to me, okay, or to us. And we realize that, man, in the resurrection, Jesus was all over the place. He was at the, at the garden where Magdalene thought he was the gardener. He was in between the garden and this room where he appeared to those other women and encouraged them to, to get here. He, uh, then he's out at the road to Emmaus and walks with them the rest of the way to Emmaus. And then he pops in here. Or first he pops in at Peter's house. Okay. <clears throat> so then verse 36. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. Doesn't say that he walked into the room. Doesn't say he knocked on the door. Doesn't say that he entered. He just stood. And uh, this is not natural for, for me. To, I, I, yes, I'm standing on the pulpit or I'm standing on the platform, but that means I walked up to the platform at some point of time in the past. All right. Peace be with you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Those are linked, but they're really two different questions. Why are you troubled? It's question number one. And then why do doubts arise in your hearts? Is question number two. And really, if you could answer question number two, then you wouldn't have question number one. If they didn't have the doubts, then they wouldn't be troubled, I think, is the, uh, the order there. Maybe it's, we should consider the other order, that because they were troubled, they allowed doubts to arise in their hearts. In any event, two separate questions. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. I mean, there's proof. You know anybody else that was crucified three days ago? Okay. You know it's me. And then he says, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a phantasm. Different things that they were afraid of, both here and previously. They had a similar fear when he was walking on water. They thought they were seeing a ghost. Okay. They still, you think if they would have learned the lesson back then, they wouldn't be having the same struggles here. All right. And so when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now, we're going to pick up here where we left it last week with some details related to the show and tell uh, invitation, the touch me uh, invitation. Um, so we'll have to detail that with respect to his different ascensions and things that we've talked about before. So let's pick up with the outline of where we were. Just s- simply understand. In Luke's record, there's no clue that Thomas is missing. <clears throat> there's no clue that, you know, we, we've got a missing man formation here. There's a missing disciple, and he's going to have to come back in eight days and, and do it again with Thomas present. Uh, Luke simply records this as a single event, not going into the details. And that means that, doesn't mean that Luke is wrong or that Luke is misleading or that he's false in what he's recording, not at all. 
It's just he's not recording the, uh, the follow-up with Thomas. He's not recording the additional detail that, uh, that we get in the Gospel of John. And so we're okay with that. Um, let me just run through, because I didn't uh, jot down my uh, slide uh, cheat sheet here. So point one, even while the Emmaus Road disciples were giving their full detailed explanation, Jesus personally appeared among them. Even while, even while, it interrupts the proceedings. While they were still telling these things. Now they weren't done, they still had more to tell. While they were still telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. Even while the ERD, Emmaus Road Disciples, were giving their full detailed explanation. Their full detailed explanation. We discussed the place whereby um, we are called to exegete. We are called to exegetamai, what it is that we have experienced. This is a sanction for our testimonies, for our experiences that can be an encouragement to others. We want to give full and complete detailed accounts for everything that God has done in our lives. There's a time and a place for that. And so Jesus personally appeared among them. The doors had been shut for fear of the Jews. We discussed that fear of the Jews was the fear of being expelled from the synagogue. The fear that if the religious leaders identified you as a Christ follower or identified you as following Jesus and naming Jesus as the Christ, that they were going to expel you from the synagogue, that you're going to be cast out from all uh, Jewish observance. That means no participation in Passover, no participation in, in Pentecost, no participation in the, the uh, or before that, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Okay? Um, and this is quite a big deal. Okay? They don't understand that, that uh, the, the Jewish stewardship is about to come to a close, that it's going to be suspended. They don't understand that a new stewardship is about to be unveiled. They don't recognize that the Lord's Day is about to be provided for the body of Christ to be the primary day for the royal family of God to assemble together. In, in their mindset, expelled from, from Jewish observance is expelled from the Christian way of life. That is the Christian way of life in the Old Testament times, you understand, is honoring the, the Sabbath day, studying the Torah, uh, loving the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, observing the feasts and the festivals and all of that. Okay? Mystery doctrine has not yet been unveiled to show that Israel's stewardship is on hold. And the idea that they're going to be expelled from the synagogue for confessing Jesus as the Christ, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. You know, if, if somebody told you tomorrow that you could never walk into the doors of Austin Bible Church ever again, that, would that hurt? Yeah, absolutely. Because this is where you belong. This is where the, 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 the organic body is. This is where we have love for one another. This is where we serve with one another. And so uh, being expelled is, uh, is significant. Shut doors did not prevent Jesus from coming and standing in their midst. I, uh, I believe it's teleportation, although we can speculate related to invisibility or phasing or time travel. Uh, what might it be that allows him to not be there and then be there a, a moment later? I think teleportation has other examples in Scripture, including Elijah in 1 Kings 18, uh, including the Lord in, in John and Luke 24. I think he popped out of Emmaus and popped wherever else he went and then popped into, into this uh, locked room. Uh, we see Philip teleporting in Acts chapter 8. He goes, uh, finds himself at Azotus. Okay. 
different aspects there. Point two, peace be to you. Peace be to you. And this was a standard Old Testament greeting. Even to this day, Jews will greet one another with a friendly shalom. All right, peace be to you. Uh, in the Greek, it's arene humin, standard greeting from the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it gets expanded. As I say in the Old Testament, shalom, shalom laka, shalom lak. Uh, we see it in Judges 19.20. In the church, we expand from peace to grace and peace. Grace and peace. And not just grace and peace, but grace and peace multiplied. <laughs> okay? So we're adding and then multiplying. We're adding grace to peace, and then we're multiplying them both. Grace and peace, may they be multiplied unto you. Point three. The disciples were startled, frightened, troubled, and doubt-filled. Startled, frightened, troubled, and doubt-filled. And each one of these, I think, is an interesting word study and a concept, and we can consider them. Verses 37 and 38, they were startled. Okay, and well, there you go. We're, uh, we're human, it happens. Something happens you're not expecting, and oh, it startles you, okay? Because we weren't expecting it. We're, we're linear in our time progression. We don't see things that have not yet happened. We uh, don't have the uh, prophetic heads up, and so something happens that catches us by surprise, like somebody teleporting into a locked room, then we don't blame you for being startled. Um, but then frightened. Okay. Thought that they were seeing a spirit. So once you get over the initial shock, the initial startled, and your mind registers what it is you're looking at, then you can go from startled to frightened, and that can be a problem. That can be carnal. Why do you have the wrong kind of fear? Why don't you have the right kind of fear? Troubled and doubts, verse 38. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Now, it's one thing to be startled. Okay? One thing to be startled. You know, we can be surprised. If you see something you don't expect to see, right? You came here on Sunday morning, you didn't expect to see General Joe Phil and his, and his wife Wendy. Unless you were here on Wednesday and you heard me advise you that, oh, by the way, on Sunday you're going to see General Joe Phil and his wife Wendy. They're going to be here. Okay? So for folks who heard the announcement Wednesday night, then they weren't as startled. Okay? If you weren't here Wednesday night and you just walked in and there's General Joe standing there and Wendy, well, then you probably were startled. Like, oh, wow. Didn't, you know, haven't seen you in six years. Didn't realize that, that uh, you're even in Austin. You know, we thought you were in Korea or the Pentagon or somewhere. See, didn't even know he was retired and living in, in uh, Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama. Okay? In any event, once you got over being startled, assuming you were, I hope no one was afraid, okay, or, or troubled. Now, once you get over what you didn't expect to see, and once your mind registers, wow, okay? And here's what I was going to say. If you were here Wednesday, then you heard the preview and, and, and realized you shouldn't have been startled. You should have expected it. In fact, you probably drove up wondering, are they here yet? You know, looking, looking out for them, okay? These disciples have been told. The women have been telling them. Jesus is alive. Okay? Now, admittedly, when he pops into the room with the locked doors, okay, I, I, I cut them some slack. I don't mind them being startled. But they should have at least expected it was possible because all those women have been telling him. 
Okay, a pack of women, a herd of women, a flock of women. My collective noun on women. Now I got pig sorted out. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> a gaggle of women. Okay, or that's a gaggle of geese. All right. So um, a whole bunch of women have been telling him he's alive, and he pops in there. And so I, 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 I the teleportation thing, I'm fine with. That, that would startle me. That would startle me. But once you get over the shock that wow, there's Jesus. It should combine with the, what they'd heard before, earlier, that he was alive. Wow, they were right. And besides, Peter's been telling them that, that he was alive. And the Emmaus Road disciples were telling their story about the breaking of bread and walking on the Emmaus Road. So they've had the pack of women, they've had Peter, they've had these two Emmaus Road disciples. They have countless witnesses. Jesus is alive. Why are they troubled? Why are they frightened? Why do they believe they're seeing a spirit? Okay. At a certain point, you have to ask yourself, why am I still volitionally disbelieving? Why won't I let myself believe what has been testified to and what I see for myself? I am choosing not to believe. Willfully, volitionally, not believing. Instead, I am considering other things. Considering, well, he's a ghost. Considering, well, he's a spirit. Why would I even consider that when the evidence is there? All right. Well, they thought wrongly. They thought wrongly about what they were seeing. Most of the problems we have in the Christian way of life is the the wrong thinking. And we hold to wrong thinking even when the evidence indicates that our wrong thinking needs to change. They thought wrongly about what they were seeing. They thought they were observing a spirit. So they thought wrongly about what they were seeing. I find it interesting. So often when... In the Old Testament especially, these prophets, Ezekiel or Daniel or these guys, they, they, they're given a vision. Zechariah is given a vision. He sees a plumb line. Or they see these things. And the Lord then asks them, what do you see? <laughs> Make sure that they have the right thinking about what they're seeing. And so the prophet then says, I see a plumb line. Okay, good. And here's what it means. All right. They thought wrongly about what they were seeing. It's got to be adjusted. And that's what the Lord's going to do here. He says, no, 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 no. Change your thinking. Touch me. Feel me. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. Spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see that I have. You're going to see very quickly here as you touch me and feel me that I'm, I'm, I'm physical. I'm, not, I'm, I'm tangible, I should say. Not physical. Tangible. Material. Touchable. I have substance. It's not a physical substance, though in the sense of our physical universe. I'm going I'm to work hard to avoid using physical with respect to the resurrection body. Our current body is physical. Our current body is, is related to soul, is related to this material universe, the, the physical universe. Okay? Our new body is going to be a spirit body, but it's going to have a substance. It's touchable. Okay? But it's in a different dimension than the walls and the... the uh, doors and things of that nature. 
All right, but it's still touchable. Now, uh, if you want to go back, Matthew 14, it's a previous episode. It's not really connected other than they're both failures. Uh, Matthew 14, it's a previous episode where Jesus is walking on the water. He, uh, he fed the 5,000. The crowds uh, want him to do it again. And the fact they want to make him king so that he can keep feeding them. And uh, so he makes the disciples uh, get into the boat and go ahead of them on the other side while he sent the crowds away. And then he catches up to them halfway through the night. When he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. The boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Okay? In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. It's a great song, by the way. The Statler brothers sing a song about this that I really like. Um, Keep your eyes on Jesus. Yeah, I'll have to play that for you after class. <laughs> All right. Um, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. In the Greek, it's phantasma, where we get phantasm. It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage, it is I. Stop being afraid. All right, so that event's not really related to this event, except for the fact that since they had this event in their past, you think they could have learned from that example and maybe not failed here in this event, and yet, no, they're going to fail this test too. He pops in there and, they don't believe it. They won't let themselves believe it. It must be a spirit. It must be his spirit or a spirit. And they continue to think wrongly. They will not believe that he's alive. All right. And so Jesus invites a physical examination. Point B. Jesus invites a physical examination to demonstrate his material form. His material form. It's not a physical material form, but it is a spiritual material form. Okay? If you, if you don't like material form, then tangible, maybe. Tangible nature could be another way to express that. Because I, in fact... I'm going to rewrite that myself. I'm going to avoid the word material because I think matter is one thing. And uh, you've got, we've got energy, we've got matter, but there's, there's, there's a different um, tangible substance that's not matter, okay? Not physical matter. Jesus invites a physical examination, a touching, tactile examination I'm also going to try to avoid the word physical. <laughs> okay? Jesus invites a tactile examination. Touch me. To demonstrate his substance. To demonstrate his substance. Substantial nature. He even provides an eating demonstration. He says, watch this. Okay? And even if you hallucinate, even if you think you're seeing somebody eat, the fact that the the fish is altered, 
when he disappears again, okay, the fact that when he poofs out of there, or pops out of there, or bamps out of there, or teleports out of there, when he um, disappears again, he's going to leave those fish bones behind on that plate. Okay? And so, if this is a mass hallucination, the, the, the fish bones on the plate are still there. All right. The verses we're going to look at, um, not only here, we've already seen them, um, in the eating demonstration we'll see. We'll pick up on those in a moment. Um, I just got this idea in my mind from 1 Corinthians 15. Let's, let's take a look at that. 1 Corinthians 15. I think it'd be worthwhile to consider the nature of the resurrection, the nature of different bodies, the nature of different subs- substances, substantial uh, existences here. And in some cases, Paul had no patience with some of these skeptics. In verse 35, 1 Corinthians 15 35, someone will say, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And these skeptics are asking their questions, not in a legitimate way because they really want to know. They're, just, they're, they're wrapped up in process and because they think there's no answers to the process that really the, the idea of resurrection itself is, is ludicrous and, and to be rejected. And, and Paul says, you fool. That's a stupid question. Okay, so when someone says there's no such thing as a stupid question, uh, we have proof here from 1 Corinthians 15:36 that um, the questions in verse 35 are stupid. Uh, Paul calls him a fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. Okay, you don't understand how stuff works. And if you did, then, and you understand the sowing and, and raising nature of resurrection, then your question answers itself, and you're kind of dumb for asking it, okay? Um, you don't bury an apple tree. You bury a seed, and a plant comes out that grows, you know, a tree comes out that grows and so forth. Um, you don't plant what, what you plant isn't what comes out you plant a seed and then what comes out is what comes out okay apple tree banana tree um watermelon whatever it is okay you don't bury an entire watermelon you you plant watermelon seeds so um and what comes out is different than what went in that's the point and god gives it a body just as he wished and to each the sea uh, of the seeds a body of its own An apple seed is not the same as a watermelon seed. And you never plant a watermelon seed and have an apple tree come up. I mean, how does that happen? Okay, just like a cat never gives birth to a puppy. A dog never gives birth to a kitten. It's not the way they're designed. So, God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. The, The preparatory body to the final body is also part of God's design. Think of your mortal body that we have right now as the preparatory body to what the final design is going to be. So we're just walking around in seeds right now. Okay? But then here's something else I want us to consider. All flesh is not the same flesh. 
There's different substantial um, existences here. Substantial natures. So there's the flesh of men, another flesh of beasts. Okay? And they're different. Yeah, we got bodies and, and animals have bodies, but they're different. And sometimes we've attempted to transplant from one to the other. Sometimes we've taken valves and skin. And sometimes we've, we've, we've borrowed from the animal realm and, and shoved them inside a human. Okay? Does it always work out very well? Are there sometimes complications because of that? Okay? Is it good to eat the flesh of beasts? Join us for lunch. <laughs> um, no, I'm not even going to finish that cannibalistic thought. It, you know, the flesh of man, is that a source of protein? You know, there's differences here, okay? Another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another of fish. You probably noticed my stupid diet is more bird food than anything, okay? More uh, the flesh of birds and the flesh of fish, not so much the flesh of beasts. All right, it's mainly birds and bird food. That's all it is for the last seven weeks. And now notice, there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. Now this is what gets to angels and humanity. This is what gets to mortal bodies and resurrection bodies. Okay, Because we have the flesh of man, and with men, beasts, birds, and fish, we're talking about the physical existence of the physical universe. The physical existence of the physical universe. And men and beasts and birds and fish, those are physical beings in the physical universe. They're all detailed in Genesis 1, the day-by-day account of the restoration of of the earth for human uh, uh, dominion. But now in verse 40, we're talking about something different. We're contrasting the physical existence with the spiritual existence, earthly and heavenly. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. So understand that they're both bodies. Angels have bodies. They're not always um, intersecting in our physical universe. Most of the time they're invisible. We don't even know they're around. Occasionally they're permitted to manifest in our physical universe. Okay? And uh, when they do, though, they, they, they can interact. They can grab and pull and shut a door they can uh, grab and take out of a city okay they can eat they can uh, the fallen angels can make babies with human women i mean so when they do materialize when these angels or spirit beings materialize then they interact on a tactile basis but i still want to avoid the word physical because i want to keep physical with um, what we have here in this contrast anyway, where it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body in uh, verse 44. Okay, So there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, the glory of the earthly is another. Just as there is the glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory for the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Now this is this is applicable because Jesus is raised from the dead. And this, you know, when he appears to Mary Magdalene, when he appears to the Emmaus Road disciples, when he appears to Peter, when he pops into the when he teleports into the room, he's in his resurrection body already, raised from the dead. 
It is sown a perishable body. That's what Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea buried in the grave was a perishable body. But it is raised an imperishable body. When he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the Emmaus Road disciples and the disciples in the locked room, he stood there in their midst in an imperishable body. Imperishable. Okay? Imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. Verse 44. 1 Corinthians 15, 44. I'm going to pull it up here. Since we have the opportunity to do this. Sometimes the top of my head uh, is forgetful. Okay, psuchikos, the soul body, the natural body. It is raised a spiritual body, a pneumatikon, a soma pneumatikon. There we go. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Now, it is a spiritual body. They thought they were seeing a spirit. Okay, and he says, touch me, I'm not a spirit. So a spirit can't be touched. But a spirit body can be touched. That's all I'm taking the time to explain. A spirit body is not a spirit. We don't become spirits when we're raised. We don't become angels when we're raised. Okay? When we die, our spirit will depart our body, be carried away to heaven. But when it's raised, it becomes a spirit body that's raised. And that's touchable. That's tactile. That's tangible. Okay? Physical material. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to establish vocabulary that I'm happy with, that I will then, uh, as soon as I'm happy with it, I'll then lock in and and maintain consistency with it. All right. So it is written. In verse 45, verse 46. The spiritual is not first, but natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. As is the heavenly, so also those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, every last one of us has been in an earthy body. Every last one of us is ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We have borne the image of the earthy. We will also bear the image of the heavenly. That resurrection body we're looking forward to is uh, fashioned without hands that if this earthly tent is torn down, we've got a new home waiting for us. All right. Anyway, back to Luke 24. Jesus invites a physical examination to demonstrate his material form. Or Jesus invites a tactile examination to demonstrate his substantial nature. Substantial nature. That's verses 39 and 40. Touch me, see the Spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He showed them His hands and His feet. He even provides an eating demonstration. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement. I, I, I dislike that. I like the Holman translation. While they were still disbelieving. Not that they couldn't. They didn't. Okay, I, I, I truly dislike the could not excuse. 
I hear it too often. I hear believers too often saying, I can't. And that's not our vocabulary. We can do all things. When a believer tells me he can't, that's just wrong. Hand me your Bible and a felt marker. I'm going to start marking out the verses you don't believe in. Okay? Can't is not in our vocabulary. They would not believe it because of their joy and amazement. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of a broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. So he even provides an eating demonstration. That way they've got the, the, the empty bone, the bones on the, on the plate when he teleports out of there and they're like, wow, that really happened. That wasn't just a dream. I didn't just hallucinate that, okay? Like the time I called Sharon in the middle of the night. <laughs> when... Uh, you know, she thought I was in Panama, and the truth was was that they brought us back from Panama, and they were shipping us over to Saudi Arabia because of the invasion of Kuwait and and uh, so forth, and we were going to war. And um, she thought I was in Panama still, and I had just a two minute phone call, permission, and and uh, had a choice: do I call mom or do I call Sharon? So I called Sharon and said, "Please call my mom." <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, "I'm at Fort Hood, and we're on our way to the desert." You know, please pray. And uh, so she she wrote down a note for herself. And it's a good thing because the next morning she didn't believe it. And the next morning she thought, wow, that was a terrible dream. You know, a terrible dream. And then she saw the note right there by the phone and said, oh, wow, it really happened. And then, you know, called my mom and called Ralph and got the church praying and different things happened there. So I believe this eating demonstration has that benefit of leaving the leaving the, the fish bones in the empty plate and, and uh, they got something to, to uh, remember after he pops out of there. Now, we've got to discuss this invitation under point... Ah. Oh no, point C is not on my slideshow. Okay, point C. Oh, C has a 1, 2, and a 3, and 3 has an A, B, C, and a D. And oh my goodness, there's a lot of subpoints before we get to flesh and bones, which is different from flesh and blood. Oh, that's terrible. Okay. Point C, the invitation to touch. The invitation to touch provides a stark contrast, a stark reversal from Mary Magdalene's prohibition against touching. The invitation to touch provides a stark reversal from Mary Magdalene's prohibition against touching. It's, you know, it's like the sign that says, do not touch. Okay? And then you replace it with a sign that says, touch. Okay? Orders you to touch. You must touch. Okay? Well, what changed in between? Why was it no touching... And then, um, you know, you must touch. Okay? feel like I'm teaching on marriage here. <laughs> right? When you're single, it's... <laughs> and when you're married, you must. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 7 says, you must touch. You must fulfill your duty to your wife. Your wife must fulfill her duty to her husband. All right. Save that for teen class or something. Um, but with Mary Magdalene, now let's go back now to uh, John 20 in verse 17. So let's return back to John 20. And we can see these, actually we can see these both here in John 20. 
What a contrast. So point C, again, the invitation to touch provides a stark reversal from Mary Magdalene's prohibition against touching. And what do we, what do we assume here? Yeah, Jesus is just a flake. He's a, one of these flaky pastors. He teaches one thing one day and teaches something else the next day. And, uh, you know, some flaky pastor teaches something on Sunday and something different on Wednesday. Or is there something really that's happening here that we want to understand? John 20, verse 17. This is where she thinks he's the gardener. And she says, uh, you know, tell me where you took him and I'll take and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, okay, I expect there was a, a vocal inflection there, the way that he said it, just the kind of Mary, okay, maybe even had three or four syllables, so it was probably one of those long, drawn out, probably just the special way that only he said it, okay, and as soon as he says it that way, she knows it's him, and she says to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher and it makes me wonder what were they speaking before then you know what kind of gardener did she think this was anyway and uh, jesus then said to her stop clinging to me for i have not yet ascended to my father and now the reason why I don't touch becomes i think important jesus said to her stop clinging to me for i have not yet ascended to the father but go to my brethren and say to them i ascend to my father and your father my God and your God. Her message is different from the message the other women had. The other women were told, uh, he's going to meet you in Galilee. The other women were told to convey the message, he's going ahead of you to Galilee, meet him in Galilee. That's what the other women were told to tell. Mary Magdalene wasn't told anything about Galilee. The message Mary Magdalene has to report is that he is ascending to God the Father. He is ascending to God the Father. So, um, tragic. I apologize. I thought I had this uh, these subpoints ready to go. Um, well, all right. We'll go with that. We only have fifteen minutes left anyway. But goodness, subpoint one. Then this is subpoint one underneath point C. So you can follow the outline all right. Main point three, the disciples are startled, frightened, troubled, and doubt-filled. Sub-point C, the invitation to touch. Sub-point one, the objection I have not yet ascended is evidently no longer an issue. The objection, quote, I have not yet ascended to the Father, unquote. That was his objection to Mary Magdalene. The objection, I have not yet ascended to the Father, is evidently no longer an issue. Like I say, he's been popping all over the place. He popped to the garden, he popped to the road, he popped from, uh, to Peter's house, he popped to the locked room. He's popping all over the place and not all on this earth. Because he also has ascended to the Father. Evidently. Because it was an issue early in the morning. When she was touching him and he said, stop touching me. But by evening, it's no longer an issue. So what happened in those intervening hours? Did he, did he ascend to the Father? I believe he did. I believe he did. That's why it's no longer objectionable for him to be touched. If so, point two, 
This proves an ascension prior to his final ascension, 10 days before Pentecost. Subpoint two, this proves an ascension prior to his final ascension, 10 days before Pentecost. If we accept that that objection has been removed, then we conclude that there's more than one ascension. We conclude that he has ascended at least twice. This proves an ascension prior to his final ascension, 10 days before Pentecost. He's been there ever since. Okay? Other than, uh, you know, a couple of brief trips. He appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road. He appeared to uh, John on Patmos. He has had a couple of uh, brief uh, returns to earth, although there it's not clear that he was physically on the earth. I think he simply appeared to them in, in visions on uh, Damascus Road and Patmos both. I think were vision appearances of God the Son. I don't believe God the Son has physically returned to this earth and won't until until Second Advent. But uh, we're, if we're, you know we're familiar with Acts chapter one and the final ascension from the Mount of Olives, what I call the uh, disciple turkey moment. Acts chapter one. And um, at verse 9, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. All right, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This is their turkey moment, right? Because they're just looking up in the sky like turkeys in the rain. All right. So now that, now a lot of folks say that's the only ascension. That's the only time he ever ascended to heaven. And that, uh, not so fast. Okay. I think there's at least, we can prove at least two, possibly more. And he had a number of ascensions prior to this final Mount of Olives uh, disciples looking up. The other ones weren't even observed. He just told them about them. We we read between the lines and we understand them. All right, so now under point three, I'm going to give you four possible ascensions. Four possible ascensions. So subpoint three is four possible ascensions. I'm going to give them to you as A, B, C, and D. Another level down. This is a terrible message to not have a slideshow. So main point three had an A, B, and a C. Point C now has had a one, two, and a three under that. In which the, the, the third point says now four possible ascensions. And now we'll outline them for you as subpoints A, B, C, and D. You following all that? Okay. Well, um, what uh, what might we anticipate? First of all, subpoint A, ascending to God the Father fulfills the vision of Daniel. Ascending to God the Father fulfills the vision of Daniel and invests all authority in heaven and earth on God the Son. 
ascending to God the Father, fulfills the vision of Daniel and invests all authority in heaven and earth in God the Son. That's a reason why. That's an activity that has to take place. In Daniel 7, if you want to write some scriptures down, Daniel 7, verses 13, 14, and 22. We also have reference of this authority in Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18. So the scripture basis for this is um, Daniel 7, verses 13, 14, and 22. And Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. I was just thinking I could put a word document up here. New format documents. Nope. All right. Don't have that. So ascending to God the Father fulfills the vision of Daniel and invests all authority in heaven and earth in God the Son. All right, uh, let's do Matthew first. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Just because we're in the New Testament, on our way back to Daniel, we can hit it. I think we pass over this verse a lot when we're in a hurry to get to the Great Commission. <laughs> we just skip over this and say, you know, go therefore and make disciples. And we get all wrapped up in uh, different things, you know, which are the imperatives, which are the participles, and lo, I'm with you always, even in the end of the age, and so forth. But it starts off with, and they, and they, uh, they worship him, and some were doubtful. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Remember the women said, you've got to go to Galilee, that's where he's going to meet you. That's where the teaching is going to be. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, this doesn't demand that he had to go to heaven to get it, but it's consistent with that, and it's consistent with what we're going to see in in Daniel chapter 7. That all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth took place when he did go to heaven to get it. Okay, so we, we see it there. It's the basis for his great commission. And it had to happen before he came back to earth to, present, to teach this class in Galilee to the disciples to deliver the great commission. So now we go to Daniel 7. Now we go to Daniel 7 and we see how the Son of Man ascends and presents himself to the Ancient of Days. Daniel 7 is a chapter that has a lot of back and forth between earth and heaven and um, so forth in this back and forth. Verse 13 shifts to the heavenly view. I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, 
one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. He was presented before him. Now the Son of Man is Jesus Christ. The Ancient of Days is God the Father. And he's being presented before God the Father. Previously we had, uh, in verses 9 and 10, we had thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Plural thrones, but only one guy sitting down. Thrones were set up, but the Ancient of Days took his seat all by himself. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. It seems like those extra seats are sitting there for no reason. Why are they empty? Well, because in the church, or because in the Old Testament, we don't know yet about the church reigning with Christ and the bride of Christ seated on those thrones. So, of course, they're empty in the, in the prophet, uh, prophet Daniel. Also, the judgment still belongs to God the Father until all judgment is given to God the Son. So, of course, it's the Ancient of Days taking his seat. Just wait, though, until judgment is passed in favor of the Son of Man. And so uh, there's fire, there's judgment, there's thousands upon thousands of <coughs> verse 10, myriads upon myriads standing before him. Here's angels. Remember, we're going to judge the angels. The court sat and the books were opened. Then uh, verses 11 and 12 flashes back to the beast. Verses 13 and 14 now back to heaven again. The Son of Man was coming. He uh, came up to the Ancient of Days, was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. I believe that to receive this dominion, to receive this authority, he had to ascend. He had to be presented before the Ancient of Days. And that preceded his declaration in the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all men. Why? Because uh, all peoples, nations, men of every language might serve me. I believe that this Daniel presentation has to precede the Great Commission for the church. It has to precede the Great Commission for the church. All right. So, sub-point A, this is one reason for an ascension. Point B, another reason for an ascension, would be leading captives captive. So, point, sub-point B, leading captives captive and transferring paradise to the third heaven. Here's a second reason why Jesus has to ascend. Leading captives captive and transferring paradise to the third heaven. Again, this is deductive reasoning. We're simply looking at uh, different uh, passages of Scripture. We're seeing different premises and we are using deductive reasoning to come to some conclusions. In uh, the Old Testament, paradise was in Sheol. Paradise was in Abraham, you know, the compartment of Abraham's bosom in Sheol across the gulf from the compartment of torments. He told the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. And yet when the Apostle Paul is caught up to the third heaven, he's caught up to paradise. How did paradise get relocated? And so we have 
paradise in Abraham's bosom. We have paradise in the third heaven. Deductive reasoning now, what, what do we assume? Well, maybe paradise got moved. Maybe paradise got relocated. Makes sense, since we know that captives were led captive. Okay? And so when we come back next week, I'll spell this out for you. I will also have slides uh, to have these uh, on the screen. That uh, from Psalms, Psalm 47, Psalm 68, Ephesians 4, about leading captives captive. Okay? It's what allows him now to give gifts to men. He received gifts from men and he now gives gifts to men. And uh, the fulfillment of Psalm 68, I think, is, uh, is critical. It's referenced in Romans, it's referenced in Ephesians, it's a New Testament reality. That when we die, we don't have to go to uh, a place of, of uh, comfort and rest uh, away from the presence of Jesus Christ. We get to go into a place of comfort and rest in the presence of Jesus Christ. We don't need to go to Abraham's bosom uh, because our sins are simply covered. We go straight to heaven because our sins have been removed. It's a big difference. And if you're not clear on that, then uh, next week we'll spell that out. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we know there's at least four reasons why um, Jesus had to ascend before you. Why he couldn't simply stay on this earth in his resurrection body. Uh, he had to stand before you, Father, uh, in fulfillment of Daniel, in fulfillment of Psalms, in fulfillment of Hebrews. He had to cleanse the heavenly temple, Father. He also had to take a seat at your right hand. And uh, he had to take a seat at your right hand while you accomplished the footstool procedure. At least four reasons why he ascended before you, Father, and only that fourth one took place in his final ascent. So, Father, uh, open the eyes of our understanding, open our minds to understand the Scriptures, and allow us to consider the various ascensions that took place between uh, Easter Sunday and and the, uh, the final resurrection ten days before Pentecost. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.